0: Do we?
1: We would like to welcome you to another edition of The JR Show. This time we got our theme back. Isn't that great? (laughs) Last week we had uh, a few uh, minor technical glitches which which happened. And of course, uh, because uh, this is live radio, uh, then uh, some of these uh, glitches can be fairly apparent. But uh, I think we got through it all right. (laughs) <laughs> but these things happen, and, of course, it makes uh, life on the radio kind of exciting, you know, almost like a jazz concert um, or a jazz gig. You know, you you don't know how it's going to uh, happen. Um, you don't know whether the rhythm section is going to gel behind you or whether your horn is going to squeak on you or um, all of a sudden uh, um, things things happen. Um, and yet, you know, you try to give a consistent performance, and uh, sometimes it doesn't happen. And then other times when it does, hey, just like our jazz feature this evening. So I'd just like to tell you that you are listening to The Jazz Show, of course, on CITR 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. And our jazz feature, we have a lot to, uh, to play this evening on the show, but our jazz feature is really important because it is the birthday of one of the greatest exponents of the alto saxophone, Mr. Philip Wells Woods, Phil Woods. I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Phil a couple of times and getting to know him actually pretty well. Um, what a, a great uh, human being. And um, funny, Um, some people found him uh, uh, cynical and hard boiled. Well, um, he he didn't mince words when uh, when he talked. He he did a lot of uh, student clinics um, in his years, and uh, he enjoyed doing those things. And of course, he fielded tons of questions from students that uh, even some of them that didn't know his jazz history, and he. um, when he was here in the 80s, um, we went out for dinner to, uh, with Phil and, and uh, his wife before his performance. He was playing at um, a Jerry Weinberg uh, production down at the Sandman Hotel, a rather historic gig with his regular band. And uh, I had the opportunity to uh, uh, get together and have dinner with Phil and some conversation. And, of course, um, he was saying that how, how many of these uh, student clinics he, he was doing. And, of course, uh, most of us know, and it is a very, very famous solo um, on uh, that very famous pop song, Just the Way You Are. And the saxophone solo stands out on that particular uh, piece of pop music, and it's Phil Woods. So, and of course, um, uh, he was acknowledged um, on on the recording uh, of, of that uh, piece of music. And Phil, uh, Billy Joel actually was very good at uh, at acknowledging Phil and making sure that everybody knew that that was Phil Woods playing that immortal saxophone solo. So he became uh, even more famous because he, he crossed the, the, the barrier there into, in, into pop music. And a lot of you know, people that listen to pop music don't know much about the instrumentalists that, that make up a pop song. But uh, Billy Joel made sure that everybody knew it was Phil Woods, the great Phil Woods, playing that saxophone solo. So in, interestingly enough, he was telling me about a recent, uh, he was at the school, and these were a whole bunch of uh, uh, student saxophone players. And he said, "I want to emphasize that, man. These were saxophone players. These were kids that are studying music that are quite good, uh, can read music and so on and so forth. and you would think that they would know a little bit of history anyway. Uh, this young man got up and said, uh, "Mr. Woods, um, aside from uh, uh, the Billy Joel song, have you done anything else? Do you have any records of your own out and and Phil said, "You know, my my first reaction to that was was like extreme anger." Uh, I, he said, "I really wanted to explode." And then I realized, you know, this is just a young kid. He he doesn't know. He's he's uh, hasn't been taught. He doesn't know anything about history. He might he might be very competent on the saxophone, which which he was actually, uh, according to Phil. But. Um, he just didn't didn't realize so Phil said yes I've been on literally thousands of recordings and the kid said what he said yes he said I've done my own recordings which are almost in the hundreds under my own name but he said of course I performed with all these bands so he gave a brief history of himself and of course the kid uh, uh, said thank you very much Mr. Woods Uh, that's something I didn't know and thank you so Phil said, "You know sometimes you just have to bury that kind of frustration and anger because uh, uh, so many of these young people uh, have never been taught um, either by their parents or 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 the media the um, history of a person. so um, he said that's that's the beauty and sometimes the curse of doing these these kind of clinics." But then he said, uh, on the other hand, you'll run into some, some kid who's just the same age, who, who knows jazz history like uh, you know, somebody like Leonard Feather or, or, uh, or even myself. You know." So there you go. So you don't know. Anyway, getting back to, uh, to Phil Woods, um, he is acknowledged, of course, as one of the greatest voices of the alto saxophone. He's played every conceivable kind of music. Uh, he began recording under his own name in 1954. Um, but he apprenticed and played in, in so many bands. He played in the legendary Dizzy Gillespie Orchestra in the mid-'50s. Uh, he played. He went on that uh, infamous European tour with, uh, with Quincy Jones. Uh, he's played in the Benny Goodman Orchestra. Uh, he's played on so many recordings because he was a very capable reader and very capable of playing lead alto saxophone in a big band. And, of course, uh, so he was in lots of big band recordings and small band recordings. Mr. Woods in 1968, and we pick up the story here because this is relevant to our jazz feature. In 1968, uh, Phil Woods was probably one of the most successful jazz musicians. Um, He um, was first call. For uh, recording sessions. He was doing albums under his own name. Um, He had made very good money and uh, was able to afford some of the nice things in life. Uh, He was happily married to uh, Chan Parker, who was Charlie Parker's widow, and Phil adopted uh, her two children that she had with uh, Charlie Parker. So it was a happy family. And Phil Woods, uh, everything was going just marvelously for Mr. Woods. But the country of the U.S. of A. was not. He was terribly upset at the assassinations um, that had taken place, from President Kennedy to his brother Bobby Kennedy and, of course, Martin Luther King. That was upsetting enough. The Vietnam War, the ongoing, rather useless war that America was fighting over in Vietnam, and never won. Phil was discouraged. There was a political malaise in the country. Sure, we had come through the the uh, psychedelic era, and, and of course, you know, love, peace, and all this kind of stuff. But that was beginning to pall as well. Uh, the drug culture was taking over. Anyway, Mr. Woods was not feeling good about living in America, and he said to his wife, we're leaving. I'm packing my bags. We're going to take the whole family. We're going to move to Europe, and that's what he did, and of course, uh, they moved to France, found a place, and uh, Phil began looking around for, for work, but uh, the beautiful thing about Mr. Woods is that he was recognized. People knew who he was. And it wasn't long before he formed a, a great band. He was very happy. He was treated as an artist and and as a, a major voice of the alto saxophone. And he was able to form a band called the European Rhythm Machine. And to my mind, it's one of the very best bands that Mr. Woods ever put together. This was a particularly happy and productive period in Phil Woods' very creative life. And that's what we're going to hear this evening. Our jazz feature is this recording, which was done in Frankfurt at the Jazz Festival March the 21st, 1970. And the Germans uh, hadn't heard this band before. They were in total awe. They were stunned by the music. They couldn't believe that an alto saxophone could sound like what you are going to hear right now. The people involved in Phil Wood's um, rhythm machine was an Englishman on acoustic and electric piano, a gentleman by the name of Gordon Beck, On bass, a virtuoso bass player from France, Henri Texier, a marvelous bass player, and one of the finest European jazz drummers who was known by a lot of guys and uh, played with a lot of people. He is a, a, a Swiss Frenchman by the name of Daniel Humer. That was the European Rhythm Machine. The concert took place, as I said, in Frankfurt, the Frankfurt Jazz Festival, The first part of the concert, there's three tunes. They're all segued into one. Phil uh, preferred to do it this way, no breaks. So we we open the set with, I think, the most amazing and probably the fastest version you're ever going to hear of Eddie Harris's incredible Freedom Jazz Dance. Then that segues, without a break, into a Phil Woods composition entitled "Ode à Jean-Louis which was uh, to do with a friend of Phil's. And then that's going to segue into a great composition by Victor Feldman that he wrote for Miles Davis, and it's called Joshua. And that officially ends the first set, but, uh, or, or their, their, their concert set, their only set. But there was applause and amazement, and for an encore, uh, Phil decided to call um, a tune called The Meeting, and that's written by pianist Gordon Beck, and that's the encore. So that is what constitutes this immortal concert. So once again, Phil Woods and his European Rhythm Machine, Gordon Beck on acoustic and electric piano, Henri Texier on bass, and Daniel Humer on drums, and we kick things off with a brief announcement by the MC here. And here we go. Enjoy this feature. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Our jazz feature this evening, Phil Woods and his European Rhythm Machine at the Frankfurt Jazz Festival, which all took place in that uh, very large city in what was then West Germany, March the 21st, 1970. And we heard Mr. Woods on alto saxophone, of course, with Gordon Beck on electric and acoustic piano, Gordon from England, and from France, Henri Taxier on bass, and from Switzerland, Danielle Humer on drums. And those were the four people that made up uh, Phil Wood's, or the three people that made up Phil Wood's rhythm machine. And the tunes we heard, the um, first part of the concert were three tunes segued together, and uh, we opened with an amazing version and um, a wild version of Eddie Harris's Freedom Jazz Dance. And then we segued to a Phil Woods composition called "Old à Jean-Louis. And then from there, uh, we segued into Victor Feldman's great tune that he wrote for Miles Davis called Joshua. And that was the formal part of the concert over. And, of course, an encore had to be played. And we heard... Uh, as the encore, a Gordon Beck composition called The Meeting. Phil Woods celebrated his birthday today, or his birthday anniversary. Mr. Woods was born in Springfield, Massachusetts, on November 2, 1931, and passed away September 29th. He was 83 years old. he had uh, suffered from uh, emphysema for years and for the last 10 years most of his performances he he brought a a respirator on stage with him an oxygen tank actually and uh had to use that between uh between pieces to uh to get his breath together but uh, his playing never ceased to be absolutely amazing virtuosic uh with an incredible sound and control and of course uh the spirit that uh, drove Phil Woods throughout his life, the spirit of jazz. And uh, this was a particularly happy period in Phil Woods' life when he moved uh, bag and baggage and family over to Europe and formed this uh, rhythm machine. And this was one of the recordings that they made. And one of the few recordings uh, that uh, became easily available in North America, although it it was very short-lived. I got this record years ago, um, on my birthday, and uh, um, I was very happy because I never, I hadn't heard this band, and of course um, I was knocked out by this recording, which the the recording you heard this evening, and of course uh, they did other recordings over in Europe, but they weren't easily available um, in North America. Uh, They're a little more available now because of the, uh, well, just the opening, the internet, the market, all that that kind of stuff, and uh, so many recordings have sort of come out of the woodwork. But this was one of the few recordings that was actually issued in in North America. It came out on a short-lived label called Embryo Records, which was run, uh, it was a subsidiary of Atlantic Records, and it was run by Herbie Mann. And uh, he was sort of the honcho behind uh, that. And the uh, Embryo had a very small catalog because they didn't last very long. But uh, uh, several excellent records came out, and this was one of them. So that was our jazz feature this evening. Phil Woods and his European Rhythm Machine at the Frankfurt Jazz Festival celebrating Phil Woods' birthday anniversary. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and uh, we have more to come, of course. And uh, we just like to remind you that we're located right out here in the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam Territory. All right, we're going to uh, carry on with some music a little different, a little quieter, actually, a little more placid, but no less um, very beautiful music. These are two rare pieces uh, that came out on an album called Third Stream Music, and it it features members of the modern jazz quartet. Uh, John Lewis, of course, is on piano, Connie Kay on drums, and... um, Mill Jackson is on Vibes, and there's some other people on here that I'm not going to tell you about until we listen to these two pieces. They're written by a great clarinet player, well, virtuoso um, clarinetist, saxophonist, and so on and so forth. But he wrote such beautiful um, pieces of music. He was such a wonderful composer. And I've always uh, admired his uh, compositional abilities. So we're going to listen to two pieces by um, Jimmy Giuffre. And um, they're called simply De Capo and Fine. Of course, both of those are musical musical terms. And uh, those are the titles of these two compositions that we are about to hear. So uh, a little different style of jazz music but no less effective. Here we go. Hope you enjoy these. Thank you. Some members of the Modern Jazz Quartet, of course, you would probably recognize Mill Jackson on vibes, John Lewis at the piano, and Connie Kay on drums. Those were three of the Modern Jazz Quartet members. The bass player was not Percy Heath, but Ralph Pena uh, from the West Coast, and he was uh, in Jimmy jufrey's trio. And, of course, the clarinet was played by the the one and only Jimmy jufrey and on guitar was Jim Hall. So that was a, a special put-together uh, group of like-minded people and two Jimmy Jewfrey compositions. Uh, he wrote delightful stuff. And uh, it was a- almost like folk music in a way, and, and and yet it had that kind of classical discipline as well. And the two pieces um, were simply called uh, w- two musical terms. De Capo was uh, piece number one, and fine was piece number two, both by uh, Jimmy Jewfrey. Yes, you are listening, of course, to uh, The Jazz Show on uh, CITR. And my name's Gavin Walker, and we have a few uh, important messages for you. And we'll be back with uh, some music by one of the finest jazz bands in all of jazz history, and that was the famous Max Roach, Clifford Brown Quintet. And we'll be back with that in a few moments.
0: Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca.
1: Right honourable W.L. Mackenzie King, Prime Minister of Canada, speaking from Ottawa. There is no home in Canada, no family and no individual whose fortunes and freedom are not bound up in the present struggle. This Remembrance Day CITR presents at home and overseas. More than two dozen Vancouver actors recreate the personal stories of those who experienced firsthand what life was like in Canada during the Second World War. Wednesday, November 11th, from 6.30 to 8 a.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. Or look for the podcast at citr.ca. You're gonna hang
0: out the washing on the Siegfried Line. Have you any dirty washing, mother dear? We're gonna hang up the washing on the sea line, cause the washing day is here. Whether the weather may be wet or fine, we'll just rub along <laughs>
1: the weather. Ah, oh, yes. Well, it's November, of course, so uh, the weather is uh, where <laughs> is what it usually is in November, right? Uh, tonight is uh, partly cloudy, cold tonight, down to about a low of three, and there's going to be some fog patches as well. So um, pretty chilly this evening, uh, but then tomorrow will be quite pleasant, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of three and a high of 11. Then on Wednesday. Cloudy with a 30% chance of a shower, low of 4 and a high of 9. Uh, Thursday, again, cloudy with a 30% chance of a shower, low of 7, high of 10, and then a downturn once again for the weekend. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, rain, rain, rain for the three days and with lows between um, 3 and 4 and highs between 10 and 11. So that's that's kind of... Uh, Typical November-Vancouver weather. Um, You see, what happens is that during the the water shortage um, uh, this year and the water restrictions, you couldn't wash your car. Now, of course, there's there's so much water that we have, but then what's the point of washing your car? It's only going to get dirty again in the rain. So you see how they get us both ways. There you go. All right. So there you have the weather, and uh, we shall return in just a moment with some music right after this.
2: You're listening to CITR 101 Point, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam speaking Musqueam people.
1: Clifford Brown and Max Roach, the great trumpeter Clifford Brown, who celebrated uh, his birthday anniversary on October 31st. Oh, October 30th, uh, I stand corrected. Uh, Clifford Brown, of course, was uh, taken from us when he was only 26. He died in a car accident. Uh, Clifford Brown and uh, the pianist in the the great uh, Clifford Brown, Max Roach band, Richie Powell, who was Bud Powell's younger brother. And a very important member of that uh, legendary band because Richie Powell was the arranger uh, in, in that band. And it took a while for the personnel to gel in the band. Uh, there were a few changes, minor changes, um, especially in the saxophone section and the great Harold Land who uh, was a very good friend of mine was the tenor player in the first um the official tenor player in the first edition um there was a short lived uh, stay by Sonny Stitt uh but he didn't he wasn't a joiner so he didn't he didn't st- he stayed for a couple of gigs and that was it teddy edwards another fine tenor player from LA um uh was in the band for a little while but uh uh, harold Land, who was originally uh, from Texas uh, had moved to uh, San Diego and then moved up to Los Angeles, became the choice tenor saxophonist in the band and uh, The blend of clifford brown 's trumpet and harold land 's tenor was something very, very magical and was never captured again i I, I always felt now um, Harold Land's place was taken by the great Sonny Rollins. Uh, Harold had to return to the coast to take care of his ailing mum, and uh, um, so he left the band. And, of course, uh, Max was looking for another um, tenor saxophonist to fill the bill, and Sonny Rollins uh, came out of a, a self-imposed retirement um, in the uh, mid-'50s and joined the band. And, of course, then they went on to to record some some tremendous stuff. And as great as Sonny Rollins was, um, and Sonny Rollins is great, I always felt the blend of the trumpet and uh, or Clifford Brown's trumpet and Harold Land's tenor saxophone um, was the best. And um, I remember uh, talking with my friend Jim Rotundi uh, at the cellar one night, and we were discussing that, and and I said, you know— I, I expressed that opinion, and and Jim says, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I totally agree. I've listened to, you know, as great as Sonny Rollins is, um, and that was a, a, one of the best bands in the world, but the blend and the way Harold Land's tenor saxophone and Clifford Brown's trumpet, yes. We're going to hear some selections by this band. Uh, the first one is a composition by Bud Powell. This was a specialty of the band and we're going to hear a great version of Parisian thoroughfare. Then we're going to hear a marvelous tune uh, that that involves uh, some incredible exchanges, and it's a very fast, up-tempo thing called The Blues Walk. And uh, then uh, we're going to move to a Clifford Brown composition, one of his finest, and it was called Dahoud, which is Arabic for David. And uh, that's, that's a wonderful tune, and one of Brown's... Finest compositions, I th- I feel. So, the Clifford Brown Max Roach Band: Clifford on trumpet, Max Roach of course on drums, George Moral on bass, Richie Powell on piano, and Harold Land on tenor saxophone. Parisian thoroughfare to start. heard some selections by the Max Roach Clifford Brown Quintet one of the legendary groups in modern jazz and uh, unfortunately the record was um, or the disc was labeled wrong so there was one tune that we didn't hear but we did hear an alternative to that tune Um, and uh, there was one that was uh, thrown in there that I didn't announce at all Anyway, it doesn't matter because we heard four of the finer selections that this band recorded, and the people involved, of course, Clifford Brown on trumpet, taken from us far too soon in that uh, horrible auto, auto accident that, uh, that killed himself, and uh, pianist Richie Powell, and Richie's wife, Nancy, who was actually driving the vehicle, and they, they slipped off the freeway. They were on their way to a, a gig very late at night, and um, rainy nights and all that kind of stuff, and things happened. And uh, the jazz world suffered a terrible loss because Clifford Brown was such a, an example of someone who uh, didn't use booze or drugs or anything like that and played like that. Uh, He was an example to all trumpet players and all musicians. Um, He just, uh, his personal conduct was um, unbelievable. Uh, Considering the circumstances and um, sometimes uh, surrounded by, you know, kind of seedy atmosphere and this sort of thing, Clifford Brown was above all that. And yet he was a very warm, friendly, accommodating person as well. And uh, only 26 when he, when he passed away, when he uh, died in that auto crash. Anyway, Max Roach and Clifford Brown, they were the co-leaders of this uh, very fine quintet with the great Harold Land on tenor saxophone, Richie Powell, as I mentioned, Bud Powell's younger brother on piano, and George Morrill on bass. And the uh, selections we heard, we opened with um, a Bud Powell composition, called Parisian Thoroughfare, and that was a specialty of the band. Then we moved to another piece uh, written by another pianist by the name of Duke Jordan, and that tune was very famous as well in, in its day. It's called Jordu, and then we heard a tune called The Blues Walk, and the composer of that is, uh, is kind of in doubt, but that sort of became a, a common, uh, one of those common language tunes. <laughs> played at a lot of jam sessions and so on. And of course, this version that we heard of the blues walk was one of the finest and taken to a slightly different le- level than uh, you'd hear at a jam session. And the final tune was one of Clifford Brown's most famous compositions and one that is still played today by many people. And the tune is called Joy Spring. So there you have it, four tunes by the great Max Roach Clifford Brown quintet. And uh, they certainly set very, very high standards. Back in the day, there were two amazing bands that were out there, and they kind of competed for uh, attention, although they were all all very friendly with one another. And one band, of course, was the Miles Davis uh, original, the first great quintet. And that was the uh, the quintet with Red Garland, Philly Joe Jones, Paul Chambers, John Coltrane. And the Clifford Brown Max Roach quintet. And ironically, they had the same instrumentation. Tenor saxophone, trumpet, piano, bass, and drums. We're going to switch gears now and play you some Charlie Parker. But this is Charlie Parker with strings. This was the first... Uh, session which took place in November of 1939, uh, 1949 in New York City and it was something um, Charlie Parker wanted to do this um, a lot of people say he was forced into it because um, he had signed with Norman Grants and Norman Grants wanted to put him in a more commercial setting this kind of thing no this was motivated, actually, by Charlie Parker himself. He wanted to do this. Uh, he wanted to record with strings. And so there was 15 arrangements that uh, were created. Um, they're, kind of, they're kind of sappy. Um, they're not particularly in, inspired. They're not particularly modern arrangements. But the fact is, it's Charlie Parker that makes this music come alive. And he, like a lot of people, wanted to record with strings because it was uh, something that that he felt um, gave him uh, um, some sort of uh, more uh, class or or just the idea of recording with, with violins. Um, a, a, lot of, a lot of Clifford Brown did a beautiful album with, with strings as well Sonny Stitt did one Several musicians have, have done this and, and Charlie Parker was no exception He wanted to do this During the time when And then of course the, they went on tour um, All over the place And they, they would pick up uh, the string section From various symphony orchestras That were um, all over the United States at the time So it wasn't really a, a big problem because the arrangements were all the same. Eventually, Charlie Parker got tired of it because there was nothing new added to the repertoire. And uh, he got tired of doing the thing with strings and eventually just decided to, to uh, bag it and, and go on to something else um, because there was no new material added. But this is when the idea... These recordings was when the idea were, uh, was very fresh, and uh, um, they're classic recordings. As a matter of fact, the first piece of music we're going to hear was the only solo that Charlie Parker liked of himself. He didn't like any of his records. None, except for this one. And, and even, even then, he said, well, I sounded pretty good on it. But this is the only one that he actually acknowledged as being acceptable to his standards. So the first tune, of course, is Just Friends. Beautiful tune, um, standard tune. Everybody knows that tune, written by Klenner and Lewis. The second tune is one of my favorite ballads, and it's written by Matt Dennis, and it's called Everything Happens to Me. And the third tune is the classic Vernon Duke composition, April in Paris. And the tune number four is another favorite of mine, It's a tune called "If I Should Lose You," written by Robin and Ranger. The the string section are all members of the uh, New York Philharmonic. I'm I'm not going to go into the names, but the pianist is a very good one, Stan Freeman. Ray Brown, the great Ray Brown, is on bass, and Buddy Rich is on drums. And the guy that plays the oboe on here uh, is—he was the contractor. He contracted the uh, the strings for the session. And of course, became very famous uh, in his own right. Mitch Miller, you remember? Some of you might remember "Sing Along with Mitch." It was a pretty corny TV show, really corny, uh, even more corny than Lawrence Welk. But anyway, <laughs> there you go, Mitch Miller. So, uh, if you hear an oboe, he's he's playing it. So, uh, and the orchestra is conducted by a guy named Jimmy Carroll. So there you go. So we're going to hear four selections from the very first session. Charlie Parker and Strings, November 30th, 1949. And we begin, of course, with the immortal Just Friends. Some choice, Charlie Parker. The, uh, the first four um, were the first four of his um, sessions with strings, and uh, this was when the idea was very fresh in his head, and um, he obviously enjoyed himself playing these uh, beautiful standard tunes, staying so close to the original melodies, and yet being so inventive um, around this sort of uh, blanket of uh, of strings and these and uh, these arrangements, amazing and uh, November thirtieth nineteen forty nine and uh, we heard Stan Freeman on piano, Ray Brown on bass, and Buddy Rich on drums, and of course, the strings were all from the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, and um, the oboe was played by a gentleman named Mitch Miller who contracted all these guys to uh, to do this. And uh, the orchestra was conducted by a guy named Jimmy Carroll. And Charlie Parker played Just Friends was the first tune. The second tune was Matt Dennis's great tune, Everything Happens to Me. The Vernon Duke classic, April in Paris. And the fourth tune was If I Should Lose You. I threw in a bonus from an earlier session than Charlie Parker did, um, Actually, a couple of years before this with a large orchestra plus a string section. I, I'm not going to go into all the personnel, but the the piece of music was written by Neil Hefty, and it was called Repetition. And uh, Charlie Parker was upstairs in another studio recording, and he came down to just listen, and um, he liked this tune so much that he said, is the room for me to play on it? And Neil said... Yes, there is, actually. Um, I'll I'll just give you the signal, uh, and you can come in. Charlie Parker had not seen the music or anything like that. He had listened to it. He he had listened to the orchestra play it. And um, so they turned on the recording machine and played the arrangement, and then Neil uh, waved at Charlie Parker to come in, and uh, there you go. It was totally spontaneous. And that piece was called Repetition. And of course, it's, uh, uh, it's too bad the recording quality is, is kind of dismal, but, uh, you know, for the time. But uh, the music is, is so beautiful. And that's such a great piece of music Neil Hefty's Repetition with Charlie Parker. All right. So we heard uh, Bird with Strings, Bird with Orchestra. And we'll be back after uh, a couple of uh, messages with uh, some more music for you. All right. And the first of these messages is this one.
2: When Shanna Larson was a little girl, she already had artistic talent, and it was clear that she would be quite an athlete. But Shan always knew what she wanted to do with her life. She wanted to teach. Shan was only 24 years old when she lost her life to breast cancer. And now it's her spirit that will teach us. Teach us to know the symptoms. For more information, visit teamshan.ca. Breast cancer, not just a disease of older women. When you
0: join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day.
2: Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms.
1: Uh, It's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 blah
2: blah blah. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union Building. we got all types of crazy stuff for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca.
1: Yes, and of course you are listening to CITR on your computer, citr.ca. And of course uh, we're located at uh, FM 101.9. And we, our studio is located right out here at UBC on unceded Musqueam Territory. This is the Jazz Show and my name's Gavin Walker and uh, just like to mention of course uh, some websites that uh uh very important to check out. And one of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. These people never sleep, you know. Uh they they work on things all year around and they have a very very comprehensive website, coastaljazz.ca. And um you can purchase tickets to um, to their events. Uh, check out what's happening around town at various venues, uh, who's coming to town, who, uh, uh, th- all, all that kind of stuff. There's all sorts of links on that particular website, and they keep it up to date. And uh, as I said, uh, these folks don't sleep. They, uh, they produce the largest cultural event in Vancouver, which is the Vancouver International Jazz Festival. But uh, they work all year around and work very hard. So that's coastaljazz.ca. Check them out on, uh, on your computer and uh, just browse around and you'll, you'll see everything there. And if you so desire to uh, attend one of the shows, you can buy tickets right online. You can do all of that stuff online. You don't have to uh, uh, use any other source. And, of course, another very fine website is the website of vancouverjazz.com vancouverjazz.com is uh, administered by my old friend Brian Nation and uh, he um, is recovering from a, a, a little bout of, uh, of uh, strange health that <laughs> he's he's had but he's doing very well and um, he uh, keeps a close watch over that website and, uh, and, and keeps it up to date as much as he as much as possible and um so uh, we hope that uh, he fully recovers from his uh, health setback. I know he's looking pretty well these days. So um, he's, he's just about there, and he takes care of VancouverJazz.com. VancouverJazz.com, very, very good website. One more thing is my buddy Ken Speller. Ken Speller is a very fine musician, and he's a very fine music teacher. Hey, if you want to learn the saxophone or the flute or the clarinet, um, he's a guy to call. Because uh, he'll come to your house and teach you and, and give you lessons and um, do all the things that are required to set you up. Um, and also, uh, another thing that he does is repair instruments. And um, he's equally adept as a musician, a teacher, and a musical instrument repairman. Very important person. Every musician needs a good repairman, especially horn players, saxophone players, flute players, clarinet players, oboe players, bassoon players. They all need repairmen. It's, it's, it's almost a, you know, if you own a car, you need a, a, a reliable repairman to, to keep your car in shape. Um, so musicians need a repairman to keep their instruments in shape. And uh, Ken Speller' is one of them. He's really good. He keeps his prices down because he has his shop right in his home. So um, there's no uh, heavy overhead that he has to, uh, has to pay. And he's got all the equipment there to put your instrument in great shape. He can be reached for whatever you uh, need him for, music lessons um, and, uh, and or re- uh, the repair of uh, getting your saxophone or flute clarinet in shape. Ken Speller, and his phone number is 778 800 1933. 778 800 1933, or K Speller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. That's K S P E L L E R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. You know, we played some Harold Land earlier, and now we're going to play some Harold Land as a band leader. This is um, a number of years after his uh, time with Clifford Brown and Max Roach. This is an all-star session, and I've always liked this record. We're going to hear some tracks from this recording. Um, It's called West Coast Blues, and it features... It was recorded, actually, in the Jazz Workshop, uh, a nightclub that I spent a lot of time in in San Francisco, Um, but there was no audience there. It was recorded... um, very, very uh, uh, early in the morning after, uh, after the club had closed because the acoustics in the club were so good and recording equipment was set up uh, and this all-star band led by Harold Land is going to be heard. And it features none other than Mr. Land on tenor saxophone, of course, one of my favorites and a, uh, and a good friend of mine for many years, wonderful uh, musician. Harold Land on tenor saxophone with Joe Gordon, legendary Joe Gordon on trumpet. Uh, Unfortunately, Joe Gordon died in 1963 and um, died in an accidental house fire. What a a horrible way to uh, uh, end your life. And we lost a marvelous voice uh, of the trumpet. Joe Gordon loved his playing. And on guitar, the late, great Wes Montgomery. So what a front line. Mr. Gordon, Mr. Land, Mr. Montgomery. Can't get any better than that. The rhythm section was the rhythm section that worked with Cannonball Adderley at the time because this was recorded in 1960. The rhythm section was Barry Harris on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Louis Hayes on drums. And uh, Harold recorded this uh, session for the Jazzland label. We're going to hear... Uh, West Montgomery's great tune, West Coast Blues. Then we're going to um, move to a ballad that features Harold Land. It's a beautiful thing written by Billy Holiday called Don't Explain. And the final tune is an up-tempo version of a tune by Charlie Parker with this incredible Charlie Parker-ish title. It's called Clacto Said Steen, and I'm not going to spell it but I did say it to you, and that's, that's going to close the set. Set of three tunes, with the, uh, all led by the great Harold Land. So here we go. We begin with West Coast Blues.
2: Thank <laughs> you. Thank you.
1: tracks from an album by the great Harold Land, leading on tenor saxophone with Joe Gordon on trumpet and Wes Montgomery on guitar. And this uh, fine rhythm section, which was the rhythm section of Cannonball Adderley's band, Barry Harris on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Louis Hayes on drums. And this was recorded in... uh, May of 1960 at the uh, Jazz Workshop in San Francisco, but this is after everybody went home and they set up uh, microphones in the, recording microphones and and the band played because the acoustics in the old Jazz Workshop, which was in the North Beach area of San Francisco, were uh, were very good, even though the club was, uh, well, (laughs) let's, uh, it, kind of seedy, but uh, a great club. Well, what a great atmosphere in there. Um, the tunes. Uh, we opened with Wes Montgomery's classic, West Coast Blues, and then a, a beautiful Billie Holiday song that she wrote, and it's called Don't Explain, and the final tune was written by Charlie Parker. It's one of his classics. Classic title, too. "Clactovid Ved said steen Okay? <laughs> um, and uh, played beautifully by the band. They... Uh, they, did, uh, they found the right tempo on it and just, uh, and just burned off some great solos. The album uh, came out on Jazzland Records originally and it's called West Coast Blues and Harold Land and his sextet. All-star band. We're going to turn now to a uh, great vocalist Jimmy Witherspoon, blues singer. With, jazz, with the jazz feel, always like Jimmy Witherspoon singing. We're going to hear him. He's backed up here by Gerald Wilson on trumpet, Ben Webster on tenor saxophone, Ernie Freeman on piano, Herman Mitchell on guitar, um, Chuck Hamilton on bass, and Jimmy Miller on drums. This is all recorded in Los Angeles in May of 1962, we're going to hear a few tunes here. We're going to open with uh, I'd Rather Drink Muddy Water uh, and Sleep in a Hollow Log, you know that one, and then uh, we're going to move to another one called I'm Going to Move to the Outskirts of Town. Anyway, here is Jimmy Witherspoon to do a a bunch of uh, blues-type tunes for you. Mr. Spoon. (laughs) ¶¶
0: Gotta have our little talk. I ought to pack up my one or two rags and walk. I know a dollar goes from hand to hand before I let you go round man to man I'd rather drink muddy water
2: and sleep
0: out in a hollow I work for you just like a Georgia me. Friends laughed and said (laughs) Spoon, you a fool Your kisses are as sweet Yes, as sweet as they can be But before I let you Make a fool of me I'd rather drink muddy water Sleep out in a hollow
2: Your fun, baby. If you must,
0: for I'll have a woman that I need trust. I'd rather drink my water.
1: Looks like we've uh, hit a snag here. Temperamental CD. Yeah, it just isn't going to sound very good here for some reason. So uh, I guess we're going to have to move on. <laughs> one of those things. Uh, you never know with CDs. Sometimes they, uh, uh, they're they real good and other times they're not. Maybe this this one might play. It's hard to say. They're very unpredictable sometimes. It's not like putting on a record. And uh, I guess we're going to have to forego this one um, because it it just isn't going to play. So these things happen, and unfortunately we can't hear Jimmy Witherspoon. So uh, we're going to move on and listen to something else here. And I think this is a pretty good selection. Um, we're going to throw this on the uh, the good old CD player and let you hear some Art Farmer, very fine trumpet player. And this is uh, really a neat session. This is a live session with Jim Hall on guitar, Steve Swallow on bass, and Walter Perkins on drums. And we're going to hear uh, a great tune. Classic jazz tune, and it's called Stompin' at the Savoy. As soon as we get this set up, we shall hear it momentarily. Here we go, Stompin' at the Savoy, Art Farmer, recorded live at the Half Note in New York. was the great uh, Art Farmer on uh, Flugelhorn with Jim Hall on guitar, just playing beautifully on that one. Just they, they just get in such a good groove. Steve Swallow on acoustic bass and Walter Perkins on drums, and that was recorded at the Half Note in December of 1963. And the Half Note was a really comfortable and classy jazz club in New York City at the time. Everybody played there. Coltrane played there, and uh, all kinds of people Zoot Sims, Coltrane, Art Farmer, Mose Allison, Miles Davis, everybody. The half note. We're going to end the jazz show this evening with. Um, well, uh we heard a little bit of Ben Webster on that vocal by Jimmy Witherspoon, but unfortunately the CD is just unplayable on our machines. Um sounds fine on uh uh on my car machine <laughs> and uh and my CD players at home, but sometimes you know this who knows what happens. It's just one of those kind of uh, infallible or uh, ineffable things that uh, happened with uh, with CDs and the digital process and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, we may hear it again, but we heard some mellifluous tenor saxophone on there, and that was by Ben Webster, just on that one tune, um, before it went all kind of haywire and and funny. Uh, So we're going to close the show with some Ben Webster. But this is Ben Webster and Illinois Jacquette. And Monsieur Joquette just celebrated uh, his birthday uh, a couple of days ago and uh, his birthday anniversary, of course, two of the greatest exponents uh, of the tenor saxophone from the the older school. And um, Ben, of course, could be uh, just very beautiful. He was one of the great balladeers of jazz. But he could also get down and mean. And, uh, and play some uh, pretty strong saxophone. And uh, one of his nicknames was the Brute. Illinois Jaquette, they were around the same age and so on, but of course uh, Illinois Jacquet, um was pretty precocious. Uh, he made one of the most imitated of all saxophone solos when he was 17 with Lionel Hampton's band back in the early 40s. And uh, so he was known as the kid. So we have The Kid and The Brute, and that's what this piece is called. uh, These two guys made up the tune. Johnny Isia on piano, and a Canadian on bass, Al Lucas, and O.C. Johnson on drums, and Chino Pozo on conga drums. And we're going to hear The Kid and The Brute, and that's going to wind up tonight's show. Have fun with these two great tenor saxophonists. couple of uh, great tenor players to uh, close out uh, tonight's program. Illinois Jaquette, who uh, just celebrated a birthday anniversary, and Ben Webster. And Illinois Jaquette soloed first on that one, and then uh, Webster came in after that. The Kid and the Brute, and we heard uh, Johnny Acia on piano, Al Lucas on bass, O.C. Johnson on drums, and Chino Pozo on conga drums. The Kid and the Brute. The Kid, of course, was Jaquette, and the Brute was Webster. Wrapping up tonight's show, we'd like to thank you very much for uh, being out there this evening, and uh, we'd also like to remind you that uh, next week's jazz feature is one of the most famous and best, to this day, best-selling recordings in jazz music. But this is an expanded version of this. It took 60 years because of legalities and all kinds of other factors for this um, recording to come out. And it's Errol Garner, the great pianist, self-taught, never read music, sat on a Manhattan directory when he played because he's a little little small man. <laughs> and uh, uh, Errol Garner, one of the great geniuses of the piano with his trio, doing... Um, very inspired form, in Carmel, California. And the album came out on Columbia Records called Concert by the Sea. And to this day, it is the very best-selling jazz record of all times. But it was only 40 minutes long and for years, and it was reissued several times on CD with that same length, 40 minutes long. We all knew that there were two sets played. And um, in the history books, they tell you about it. And, and, of course, uh, much more music. But because of uh, certain legalities and all this kind of stuff, uh, it took Columbia Records, they had to clear that away so that they could reissue the full concert, and they did. So we're going to hear a lot of tracks next week that were never previously issued. And, of course, uh, this three-CD set is pretty amazing. So... That's what we're going to hear as the jazz feature next week. Some really um, interesting stuff that that you may have heard before and stuff that you may never have heard before from that famous concert by the sea with Errol Garner. That's going to be next week's jazz feature. That's what we kick off our show with. And that's it. We have a lot more to do for you uh, next week. Not much more to do this evening except uh, give you a little taste of our theme. And once again, thank you very much for being out there. On behalf of CITR, FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca, and The Jazz Show, and yours truly, Gavin Walker, we'll see you in seven days' time. Take care.